Hi, I'm hoping you can hear me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Teachers Talk Radio this afternoon, albeit a little bit late. Um, I am Jane Manzoni with a cold, and I am really excited today as this promises to be an incredible show. Um, I'm not going to do much of a preamble because clearly I'm nearly half an hour late and I've got a cold. But I've got four amazing guests for you in this book special. Hi, right, excuse me if I have to put myself on mute from time to time to blow my nose this afternoon to hear that. So today, first guest is Simon Smith. Everyone knows Simon from his encyclopedic knowledge of children's literature, of course, and his specific book list he helpfully creates and puts on. He's a head teacher. He has a huge 40.3 thousand followers on Twitter. Now, after I've interviewed Simon, we'll both be talking together, mercifully, because I'm not sure my voice will hold out, to Ed Fear, uh, the fabulous children's book writer. Ed wrote Max the Brave, How to Be a Lion, Mr. Big, Chick and Grumpy Frog, amongst others. He will be talking to us alongside Vinny Dawson. Vinny is a year four teacher who was involved in a project called The Power of Pictures with Ed and the CLPE. Simon, I do believe, was also involved in that. The CLPE, if you don't know about it, is the Centre for Literature in Primary Education. It's an amazing place, home to the power of reading, and it's also where New Voices has been held the past three times. It's a beautiful building in Waterloo. My last but not least guest is the superstar writer Philip Reeve. Philip wrote Mortal Engines, uh, the whole the series Mortal Engines, the Railhead series, the Lark Light trilogy, and numerous other books. He also writes in conjunction with Sarah McIntyre. They've written books like Oliver and the Seawigs and Pugs of the Frozen North. Philip has also written some incredible standalone novels, including my all-time favourite young adult book, Here Lies Arthur, which won the Carnegie in 2007. Right, I don't have time for a rundown of my week. Uh, or a focused educationalist. I do, however, have a couple of minutes, so I'll tell you my cocktail of the week, which is a hot toddy, because it's what I want to drink right now. A classic hot toddy is made with whiskey, of course, honey, a cinnamon stick, lemon and two cloves, and you just whisk the honey together and add the other ingredients and top off with boiling water. Right, I'm not going to read out those questions of the week from Twitter. I'm sorry, people who answered, but I will read them out next time I promise you so I'm going to ask if Simon could call in now hopefully he hasn't gone off and done something else and we shall get on with the first interview pretty soon need support with your phonics teaching did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you read write ink phonics floppies phonics and the brand new essential letters and sounds Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone, Hello everyone and welcome, welcome to the History Hotline, Hotline the, hottest the hottest line for all things black, black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lindbrook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you, Do you struggle, struggle with people pleasing? Is it, is it a, a constant, constant battle, battle managing, managing different and difficult, and difficult personalities? personalities? 
Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the Mao CDD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mao CDD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hi, I don't have Simon because he hasn't called in yet. So Simon, could you please call in? Um, and in the meantime, I will read out those questions, those answers to my question. Oh, here he is. Invite him in. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? I can. So there's been yeah. so, so many technical issues today. Yeah, um, no worries. I was, uh, I, I'm having a technical issue as well, so that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I think people are telling me it's super echoey as well. I don't know how I'm going to fix that. Maybe, Tom, if you're listening, you can type something in and tell me what to do. Okay, so uh, let's, let's on with the show. <laughs> can you start off by telling me your, your cocktail, if you prepared one for me? Uh, I have prepared one. My, my cocktail, because I'm not really a cocktail drinker, so... Uh, uh, my idea of a cocktail was a. Uh, my wife took me up to Scotland once, and uh, it was a pint of pint of bitter with a with a scotch dropped in it, which was by one of her friends because she grew up in Scotland. So it's a little bit a, a little bit unclassy, uh, but God, did I get very drunk! So it was a uh, it was uh, competing against Scottish lumberjacks in a drinking competition was not great, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's my cocktail. Okay, um, I think my second question is: Why did you decide? Of teaching of all things and then to become a head I never got there to be a head I mean maybe one day but probably not so you've gone all the way and you've been a head for how long now uh this is my eighth year so yeah eight yeah. years uh so yeah who's teaching uh kind of I am the, the archetypal uh didn't know what else I wanted to do really so I kind of did did a degree in psychology and then dosed around for a bit, travelled a bit, did that kind of stuff, and then kind of came back, thought might want to be an educational psychologist, but then kind of walked in the classroom and that was it. I kind of ended up in a classroom uh, and loved it and still love it. And uh, uh, and then kind of, yeah, just just pottered through a, a career in schools in, in requires improvement and special measures, uh, kind of moving to those schools and then seeing, and being part of the journey to improve. Uh, kind of left teaching for a couple of years uh, due to a really, really dodgy head teacher and, and lots of micromanagement. So I, I was lucky and uh, became a consultant. And then that kind of made me realise that actually the job that head teachers do and what good head teachers do. Uh, and that's where I ended up now. So I ended up in, then ended up kind of becoming a head teacher and, and love it. But I do still get in the classroom lots. So uh, I still think that's vital for head teachers if they can. To kind of yeah. really feel what's going on in the classroom and understand what the teacher what the teachers are dealing with, I think. Yeah, I do really appreciate it when heads pop into class and keep their hand, you know, at the the wheel, so to speak. That ones who take classes still, I always think that that shows a really good example in a leader. I think I was going to move on to books now because this is a book special, and you are renowned on Twitter for your blogs about books and picture books in particular, because. For, like me you share a passion and think that they're the center of the curriculum don't you I was going to ask you what your favorite book was as a child and and now as an adult you can pick a children's book if you right, want so, 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 yeah so my favorite my favorite book as a child uh that god that's really hard that's that's really that's really tricky. I do love Tom's Midnight Garden I loved it when I was a kid and I still love it now I still think it's possibly one of the best children's books ever written it is amazing uh, I love uh, it it's it's an absolute so so that would that would that's definitely up there uh as a as a book now I think I think I'd have to go with the book that started me reading again because I kind of really had a gap on reading I kind of after a level I kind of didn't read and I didn't read for about for about eight nine years and and the book that kind of I'd kind of just met my now wife and we've been together like 27 years. Uh, but we were up camping in Scotland in a tent full, um, and just midges everywhere. And I bought a copy of train spotting because there was nothing else to do and it was wet and miserable. And then suddenly got immersed in the book. So for, for because it's a book that got me reading again after a, a, a blank period of not reading, it definitely have to be train train spotting. That's a book that just made me realize that 
it's kind of a bigger world out there and and kind of a very naive person kind of on reading that kind of took me to a completely different world not a pleasant world but a completely different one so yeah, yes, I, haven't, that. I haven't read train spotting i've seen the film <laughs> but maybe yeah. i should i should read the book and see what the original was like yeah okay. the book's fantastic and i'm going to ask you the twitter question what's your favorite book I, it's probably difficult to pick just one to read aloud to a class you couldn't uh, have to if you have my, to. My, my, my fate, I've got, I've got a couple of favourites. So I really love uh, Read the Book Lemons by Amy Dykeman, which is a fantastic book to read in an assembly. Uh, it's just really funny and, and just joyous. Uh, that, and that's, that's a great picture book. Uh, and then one, because it, it, it also relates to my, to my children, is, uh, is, is the Emily Brown book, by, is the first Emily Brown book by Cressida Cowell uh, and with illustrations by, by Neil Layton. And it's just... It's a book that I do voices with, and, and it was a book that I probably read every day to my boys. It, it was their, like, chicken soup book, and it, we used to just laugh, and whatever the day had been, that would be the book that would come out. And, and so, yeah, so and that's still brilliant to read to, to an assembly hall full of kids and, or in a classroom. It's just a great story and brilliantly written. That's great. Okay, do you know what? I'm going to ask Ed. I think Ed's around already. I'm going to ask him to ring in now, and also Vinny. There we go. Um, and I'm going to put myself, if I'm going to put you on mute, if you don't mind, and talk to him for five minutes, and then I'll put you back on. Okay. Hi, Ed. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> Not very well. Oh, I'm and sorry to hear that. Well, I, I hope you had out. a good hot toddy before you started. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh, I'll have one afterwards. Also, if if Finney's around and he calls in now, I'll also accept you as a speaker. Um, and Simon, you're still there, and I'll bring you back into this conversation in a bit. Okay. Uh, so my first question, Ed, to you is: Do you have a cocktail? Because you were a teacher, weren't you? No, no, no. I was never oh, a you teacher. Weren't? No, no, <laughs> no. I, you have been, yeah. No, I, I, the extent of my well, I, the extent of my uh, connection with teaching is as an author and author visits, and then as we will talk about a, um, a long-term project with CLPE called um, the Power of Pictures, which I co-developed with Charlotte Hacking. A pair of pictures. So no, not a teacher. You were never a teacher. Okay. Do you have a cocktail that's like a bookish cocktail then? Uh, yeah. yeah okay. An well, bookish. It's yeah. It's definitely got an author connection. So somebody once took me to a, a very fancy small hotel tucked away behind the Ritz in London, and it's where Ian Fleming used to go. And apparently, that's where he had um, the famous James Bond vodka martini. And so we went there for martinis, and they're the strongest cocktail you can. After two, you're literally crawling out of the place. But it puts you in such a sort of frivolous, fun mood. Um, so yeah, I recommend those so a particular vodka. A, a in... vodka martini. I, I don't know. I, I guess it was shaken and not stirred in a and place called a Duke's Hotel. And and anyway, it's this tiny little fancy hotel. And wow. somebody took me as a guest and, and it was just, I don't think I'd ever had such a, a powerful drink. Have you <laughs> ever been around my house? <laughs> okay, I've I'm open to invitations. <laughs> no, okay, well, I'm going to try that. Duke's Hotel. I'm, I'm a real connoisseur of cocktail. I like to think of myself. It's, it's really it's, it's really nice. It's uh, They, they come and mix it. them at, the, at your table. I bet it and costs it takes, £25 or something. Oh, it's probably, it's, 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 but it's worth it because okay. it's sort of, you know, in place of eight other cocktails. It, okay, they are I'm surprisingly gonna, powerful, honestly. That's incredible. I've just got to get um, Vinny's coming to yeah. the studio. I want to say hello to him. Uh, hi, Vinny. Hi there, you all right? I'm good. This has been very stressful for me today. So I just wanted to acknowledge that you're here and you are a teacher, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a year four teacher. In, sorry, yeah. You've worked with Ed and you're a year four teacher, but you've worked with yeah, Ed on yeah. The Power of Pictures. So yeah. what I'm actually going to do, if you quickly tell me your cocktail, then I'm going to get you both on a mute myself and you can talk about the Power of Pictures project together. I think that's fine, both of you together doing that. Does that sound okay? Yeah, perfect. Okay, have you, have you got a 
Have you got an educational cocktail for me, Finney? Well, yeah, I've I've gone a, similar to Ed. Really, I've gone for the typical porn star martini, um, with the regards of you could drink them all day long and not realise that they've obviously got alcohol in them. And I think with regards to teaching, it's that idea of children should be in your lessons and realise that it's it's fun, but there's learning behind it. Um, and sometimes the fun does take <laughs> over. alcohol behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you don't They've realize... got that learning behind it. So the learning is the alcohol. I like that analogy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I'm not going to do a huge preamble and ask you what you change about education unless we suddenly have loads of time towards the end. And then I'll go back and ask you about what you change in education. But what I am going to do now is get to the, the Power of Pictures project, which you did with the CLP, because I don't know much about it. And I understand it's about uh, visual literacy and how um, there's evidence behind it being really powerful. So I'm bringing Ed back in now and I'm going to mute myself. Uh Hello, Ed. Hi. So do you, want to talk, Hi. do you want to tell everybody what it's about and why? Yeah, why... OK. Shall I sort of start at the beginning and sort of the ideas behind it and how we got there? And then maybe I can talk with Vinny about how he uses it in practice. How does Indeed. that sound? That sounds okay. fabulous. Great. OK, then you're going to have to listen to me bore on for a little while. Um, so Power of Pictures, it sort of started, I, I went, I found myself at a, um, a meeting um, with a bunch of authors and a few other people who worked in education. And we were having a meeting about author visits and how could we improve them. And I got chatting to Charlotte Hacking at CLPE. And we got on really well, and we had a sort of common interest in visual literacy. And so we decided we'd have a coffee and talk further about visual literacy. And we eventually, after to cut a long story short, developed um, a 12... We, one thing we thought was a shame, or I thought was a shame about author visits, is they're so short. And I always felt there's so much more you could do with preparation and that you could sort of give to teachers to do with the kids. And an hour just always feels like, oh, we could just do a bit more. We'd get so much further. So we developed a course with that in mind. When I was at school, um, I was uh, somebody who really, really struggled with any kind of literacy projects. I was a natural drawer and loved drawing, but I felt, um, I don't know, I just found it very hard. I, I just didn't get it. Um, and so, oddly, I sort of grew into an author by hook or by crook. I started as a painter and then fell into doing children's books, which is a world which I absolutely love. Um, and then getting to know a lot of other author illustrators, I realized, and you know, basically writers, people who publish books, I realized that a lot of us don't write our books beginning with words. A lot of us draw. And we draw to sort of fill out, to, to develop a character uh, and to fill out a world. And, and it kickstarts all of our, our ideas. And then we write from there. So I wondered if there was a way that we could incorporate that into this course, Power of Pictures. And essentially, the, the, the main part of the course is to try and teach teachers how much there is going on in a picture book, particularly in the pictures. Sometimes the pictures can be glossed over. Um, another place that this course started from, I, I went to see um, a brilliant talk uh, with Quentin Blake quite a few years ago, and he was talking about visual literacy. And he said, so imagine a four-year-old boy, and if you use the word indignant, he wouldn't, probably, most likely wouldn't understand that word. And then Quentin Blake, brilliant illustrator of all Roald Dahl's books and all of that, you know, absolutely fantastically expressive, drew a picture of a very indignant old lady in ah. classic style. And of course, that child, that four-year-old boy knows that emotion. He just doesn't have a word for it. Partly because when, from the moment we're born, we are picking up visual information. We're trying to read the clues in body language, in facial expression, whether someone is friend or foe. So we develop over those early years a very, very sophisticated visual vocabulary. And pictures use that. So there's a huge amount that can be said in pictures. 
and a huge amount that can be said when we draw that's very sophisticated. And sometimes when people read a picture book, they read the words and imagine that the pictures are just sort of echoing the words, but the pictures very much tell their own story and they tell a story in um, in very different ways. So there's no, it's not concrete information, it's information that's definitely open to interpretation, So, which is brilliant in a classroom environment, I think, because then there's a lot of room to discuss. So essentially, the idea and ethos of the project was built around that. And we, so it's a, a two-day intensive project where an author and illustrator will t talk to um, teachers about picture books and about how pictures work. And crucially, we're trying to get drawing into the literacy process. So we um, we have to, uh, so, so many grown-ups don't draw anymore, including a lot of teachers. Most of us tend to stop drawing around the age of seven or eight, which is another thing that I sort of feel is a tragedy that children most children start in primary education drawing freely and expressing them, their emotional selves, and somehow that comes to a stuttering stop around the age of eight. And they, they're not expressing themselves emotionally through any other medium, so they're losing something really huge. So part of the course is we have to reinstill a real sense of confidence in the teachers so they can talk about drawing and actually draw with the children. So that's a very big part of the course. Um, and, and then over 12 weeks, the teachers will dissect one particular picture book um, with the children. And at, at the end of the course, um, the children will have written and drawn their own picture book, understanding all the ins and outs of how a picture, of how a book works, of how you edit it, of how you maybe discuss it with your peers to try and make it better each time, how an audience responds to a book. So in thinking of all those things, I'm cutting it very, very short here, but in thinking about all of those things, they they were making writing a creative act. And that's one thing that we've really got to keep remembering. Writing is a creative act. And one of the fantastic things that's happening, that's happened with this course, we've just had um, some very big um, evaluation with the EEF and um, RSA, who, and we have concrete proof now that this really, really, this course really works, particularly with the so-called hard-to-reach children, um, and, and it has improved their writing scores hugely, and all sorts of other stuff which you can find out on the CLPE website. But we've, I mean, it's not just sort of, oh, we think drawing and visual literacy is a good idea. This are, the evaluation now proves that it's very, very helpful engaging certain, uh, engaging all children and particularly certain children who maybe are considered harder to reach. Uh, I, I think sometimes that primary education or education in this country can do very well for the academically minded and not do so well for those who maybe think visually or spatially. Children who are equally bright, but we're not finding a way of engaging with them. And this course is really trying to find a way to engage with them. Um, so can I can I bring in um, Vinny now? Is that okay? Yes, yeah, and he yeah, can he can tell us from his perspective as a teacher how that worked with his children. So I'm unmuting you now, Vinny, so you can talk. All right, okay. Um, so yeah, I did what Ed said, and I did the two day course in Newcastle, um, and there was a lot of different teachers from all around, sort of the northeast, and I worked alongside Tim Hopgood to start with. Um, the author of Here Comes Frankie, and that was my teaching for the first teaching sequence of um, The Power of Pictures. And implementing it in schools, like Ed said, there were sort of two sides to the um, sequence. The first side obviously explored the book. Um, I can't remember how many, how many sessions it was, but it picked the book apart. And I think the biggest thing that I noticed was how much in that first half of the sequence I was saying, what are the author intentions? How has the author done this to make us, us as the reader think? And it was actually showing the children that they are the reader and the author is trying to get 
trying to sort of grip you and trying to make you think certain things. And it's not thinking one specific idea. Um, it was children creating their own ideas and each idea was different. And then just like Ed said, towards the end of the sequence, the children actually then became the author. Hi. So, you... Yeah, that sounds... He's saying, I sorry. can hear you. I'm, I might actually ask Simon at this point, because I know Simon Smith was also involved in this project, um, and he's got he's got another perspective to add to it. So I'm just going to bring Simon in now. Hopefully he's still there. Hi, Simon. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Hi, yeah, you, you were also involved, weren't you? Yeah, so we were involved in the same two days that Vinny was uh, with Tim Hopgood in uh, in Newcastle. Uh, so uh, what was great is, uh, so the teacher went and did work with, with Tim, came back and then worked with the class. Then Tim worked with the class uh, and then the children produced. But uh, what was amazing about it was how children, how for a number of our children, it, they suddenly became free in that creativity around writing. So, so our children wrote some, some of the most amazing picture books about uh, World War Two. Uh, so they kind of, but it, it, how they express that, they, they learned different ways to express that and show that through art and through, through drawing. And it was, it was just fantastic. But, but children suddenly seeing themselves as writers, uh, and particularly those children who sometimes didn't, the act of writing was really hard. Suddenly they had stories to tell. Suddenly they had ways to express it and visually express it. Uh, uh, and, and it's had definitely had a positive impact in our school. I mean, we're, we're really big on picture books anyway, but this, again, it, it's that specific knowledge of teachers and, and opening up that dialogic talk with children about those books and how the books work uh, and, and that those roots into questioning, those roots into talking around image and illustration. And, and as Ed said, it's, you know, often we'll gloss past through picture books and, and not actually look at the pictures and, and read the story, but actually that's stopping and looking and thinking and talking and realising there's real intent behind them. And the best picture books often the, the narrative will run, the, the, the words will run as a different narrative almost to, to what the illustrations tell us. So, so for us, the project was, was, was really great. And, and it's great that it's now got evidence that backs up what we were seeing. You know, we were seeing this real positive impact around how children felt, but actually there's evidence around how it improved writing as well, which, which is just fantastic. So, yeah, it's, it's been a really good programme for us as a school. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I mean, I hope it gets disseminated quite widely because at the moment we do tend to focus on skill, you know, like mechanical writing skills. And Ed was saying something about, you know, it's a creative process and we mustn't forget it. And I think we, we are in danger sometimes of forgetting how creative teaching uh teaching writing should be um, you know in an in a effort to get them to tick all the boxes and show a multi-clause sentence and get their semicolons in the right place in year six blah blah you know it's still essentially the joy in writing is the creativity and if you can get to that through pictures then you know we should use them more sorry I don't know who I should be talking to uh, now I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd agree <laughs> it's all complicated yeah. here yeah I'd agree you know get us beyond the fronted adverbial sometimes as well and 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 actually you know you know we can look at the technical and technical in writing is really important but actually it's not important if they haven't got stuff to write and and they have and they are, they're not expressing so so there's that there's that it's about where it's placed in that process where it's placed in in the writing process you know but actually it's it's about how we get children to see themselves as writers I think yeah and I think that's really important I'm just going to bring Vinny in because then I think you've got a few questions just for Ed haven't you Simon I'm going to mute myself I just want to ask Vinny I'm putting you back on is there anything you wanted to add about um using pictures with the children or the project I just think from the demographic I work with because I work in Stockton-on-Tees in the northeast and I noticed at the start of the sequence, you do an initial, an initial questionnaire, sorry, and the children had a really negative view of writing um, and themselves as writers. They didn't see themselves as writers. They just saw writing as a task they had to do in school. They didn't see it as a creative form. Um, whereas after running the power of pictures, I've done it every year in my teaching career now, fourth year running now, um, the total difference and dichotomy between their answers from the initial questionnaires to the end questionnaires is outstanding. And I mean, I've shared that with Charlotte. I've shared that with Ed. I've shared that with CLPE. Um, it's, it was just one thing where I thought, okay, the first one, fair enough. Then when it came around to the second year, 
I got a similar sort of answer of, in the initials questionnaires, but then in the end, the children see themselves as writers. They understand what writing is. And a little bit like what Simon was saying, it lets them get past, say, a front adverbial or a relative clause. And they don't just see it as a sentence anymore. They see it as an opportunity to create an idea for then it to carry on flowing. Um, so it's just been a great program that has made some of even AL writers, some of the lower ability writers, but then also the greater depth writers. It's allowed them to sort of pick up an idea and run with it, whereas which is something I do believe in a normal English lesson uh, without the power of pictures. Sometimes teachers may get a bit stuck. And I mean, I did when I trained as an NQT. I was stuck in sort of the spelling, grammar, punctuation, making sure we tick all the boxes yeah, and sort of lost that creative spark where this definitely brought it into the classroom. Yeah, and I, everybody loves pictures, don't they? Um, it's sad if the, the evidence says that everyone stops drawing at seven and eight. That is sad. We should keep it in the curriculum far later because, I mean, I still paint now. I do think it's it's lovely to express yourself through pictures. Okay, Finney, I'm going to say thanks very much to you. I'm sorry I didn't talk to you for longer, actually, and maybe I shouldn't have so many guests on. It's been over-ambitious, but um, I'm going to just put you on mute or maybe um, you don't need to be on the call anymore because I'm going to let Simon interview Ed for a bit before I have the final guest on. Is that okay? No problem. Thank you very much for having thank, me. Thank you for coming on, Vinny. Bye. All right. Right, uh, Simon, over to you. I'm just going to mute myself. You can't hear me blowing my nose, can you? Because I'm on mute, but I'm not just, sure if it's working. No, just a little bit, but it's all right. Can you? You, <laughs> well, you help me blow it. It's not working. It's my mute not working. No, no, it's not. Oh no! Oh, I didn't hear anything. Just some heavy breathing, but I I'm, just uh, I didn't I'm know if that was part my, of the. Am I not show. able to mute myself? Oh no! Okay, all right. I'll just try and not blow it. <laughs> right, hi Ed. Hi. Um, uh, can I yeah. just say that last bit of what Vinny said was just so gratifying to hear that thing of the children taking ownership of writing and realizing it's for them. That is, um, don't you think that's an amazing thing to hear? That's transformative. You know, I, instead of feeling that something, I don't know what a bloody fronted adverbial is or <laughs> about clauses. I don't, I, and I'm a writer. Those things do matter, but it, that the thing of you having your creativity sparked and feeling it's for you that you have a voice—that is what gives you motivation to then carry on rather than be bored by it. Uh, anyway, I just thought what Vinny said was just yeah, so I can, good to hear. I completely agree, Ed, and, and I think it's that that it's absolutely vital, isn't it? That that we get kids to see themselves as a controller of the writing process, yeah. not, not something yeah, yeah. That's, that's done well, to them, but actually and, and that they something, have a voice something to say. Something that's valuable to, yeah. and can say something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I know for our children in our school, when we did the Power of Pictures, and it has carried on in our school, it is something that, that oh, we still we still use in school. Uh, uh, and we talk about picture books all the time, but it's something that actually it's allowed our children to, to feel they've got something to say, uh, uh, you know, yeah. and, and, and having a curriculum that's designed around having an audience and who it's for and, and who they're writing for and why they write. Well, exactly. And what is, you know, the big question, what is education for? It's not just to create little cogs for an economy. It's to hopefully produce well-rounded human beings who enjoy their lives. Completely. I completely agree. But we'll probably I'll probably get in trouble for that. So oh, sorry. No, <laughs> no I didn't mean it. I didn't mean I, it. I didn't I'm joking. mean that. Just I'm very, in the I'm, I'm very I'm very fortunate. <laughs> I work I work in the same trust as Vinny's so my trust the trust that I work for is it is the same trust that Vinny schools in. So yeah. so I know that our trust is really supportive oh, uh, uh, yeah, of yeah. us having of us, you know, getting children to value and be part of their education and to and to to, to have those voices so I feel yeah. very very anyway I do have a couple of questions um, okay lovely uh, so easy starter yeah picture was brilliant for encouraging discussion helping children explore narratives and helping children tell stories if you could pick three illustrators and you're not allowed to include yourself or, oh. although I think your stories are amazing <laughs> uh, to inspire a child who would those illustrators be and I think you've, you've mentioned Quentin Blake who might be one so uh, Quentin okay. Blake is one so I'll stick with him as one because I think he manages to bring so much expression my favorite book when I was young was um The Enormous Crocodile and there's just such a sort of sly naughtiness 
And there's always so much, they're so alive, his drawings. I always think that's the amazing thing about a drawing, that it can become alive, this little bit of ink on paper. And so he is one with the enormous crocodile. Somebody I, I, who's actually a friend, um, but I so love his books, is um, Chris Horton, who is just love his brilliant, books. brilliant, brilliant Oh no, George is just the best. Oh no, George is so funny. Yeah, he, he's visually he's fantastic, but he he really really is good at simplifying and crystallizing a series of ideas down into the essence of a picture book. So, because a picture book is very different from other books, it, it's very structured, and and I think he does that brilliantly. And then um, I'm going to say Sidney Smith, because I think his work at the moment... I adore his work. ...is just uh, amazing. And that book, remind me... Uh, it's, 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 it's I Talk Like a River. Talk Like a River is just about... The, the, the author, whose name I forget, was a stutterer. And, yeah, Jordan Stewart. Oh, it's a Jordan fan, Stewart. It's just a beautiful, beautiful book. And it's, it's the, the, these beautiful watercolour illustrations which are not necessarily for a children's book. They're, you know, they could, they could sit anywhere. And I, I love, I, I think children's books could look like anything. They don't always have to look yeah. like a children's book. So that, that's just a, a, a thing yeah. of sheer beauty. I completely agree with Sydney Smith. Town is by the Sea is possibly one of my absolute favourite mm. picture yeah. books. Uh, and really, I, I work in a seaside town. Uh, oh, okay. and, so, and so the yeah. themes were very, very relevant to, yeah. to my school and my yeah. community and my children. So it's a book that we've used a lot in school because yeah. of the, the relevant themes that it has uh, around that cyclical nature of work and things in a yeah. coastal town. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that. That's brilliant. Uh, so, Ed, what was your route to now? Because obviously uh -huh. now, you, you know, it's obviously you've gone into illustration. Was it a hard route or was it, did, did it happen quite easily or were there challenges well, along yeah, the road? For, so it was, so basically when I was five, um, I, two choices appeared to me in life. One was be a farmer and the other was be a painter. So I loved drawing um, and I thought, you know, I'll be an artist or, and, and we lived on a farm. And I love, you know, being out in the car. Anyway, I chose the art route and went to art school and um, trained as a painter. And I still paint. And I, by hook or by crook, I, I sort of fell into, I got asked to illustrate a couple of broad books by a publisher in New York. I, I, I designed a couple of uh, greetings cards and they'd seen them and asked me to illustrate some books. And when they sent the text through, it was literally eight words per book <laughs> and I thought my god I could double my money if I write these things um <laughs> very mercenary and and then realized how hard it actually is to so I never ever ever considered myself a writer at all as I said earlier I, I struggled with that at school but I've always read a lot and and so the books sort of sat at the side of the painting um and then gradually they started taking over and I realised there's more and more that you could do with books as I moved from board books to picture books. And particularly as I then started doing author visits and, you know, going to book festivals and, and engaging with the audience. And I just felt that this was really rewarding, meaningful work in a way that selling paintings to, you know, the 0.1% is just not in any way rewarding. Um, <laughs> Uh, but working in, you know, the work I do uh, with CLPE, the, you know, How to Be a Lion was a very political book, which was um, sort of created at the time I was doing a book tour across the States. The backdrop was Trump and Clinton. And all of these people in the bookshops I was going through were saying, oh, we're really embarrassed about this, but don't worry, he won't get in. And I thought, well, listen, we've just had Brexit. The world has shifted on its axis. Yeah. And if this guy becomes the president, he's going to influence a lot of people, you know, a lot of children. Yeah, and I wanted to write a book that would um, counter that voice, sort of thing. So, I, I, so that's sort of my journey. Um, yeah, I think I think it, I, I think nutshell. that's one of the really interesting things about picture books, isn't it? Is they they often 
you know, I kind of would look at the work of Maurice Sendak and the, the comments yeah. he's making and, and, and around that political element often to, to those books and, the, and those materials, which kind of sit there. Uh, and as an adult, we'll often pick up on that. And, and sometimes yeah. kids will pick up on that. And I think I really love being subtle about it, but it being yes. in there. I, yeah. I remember once when I was in the States and I was chatting to a really lovely guy, but he happened to be a Trump voter they're not my politics and we were having a civil debate but he wouldn't see my point of view and I definitely couldn't see his and I thought okay well I'm never going to win this argument however if I put my thoughts into a book he there is every chance that he's going to pick that book up because it doesn't explicitly say I dislike Donald Trump but it talks about masculinity and what's possible in masculinity which is very different to Trump's very narrow view of masculinity and I can get that guy who wouldn't see my point of view to read my thoughts to his son. And I feel like that is a very powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah, definitely. And, definitely. and I think good books are really foundational. I really remember the books I loved when I was very young. Um, and I think many of us do. And so I, I think core messages really go in. I don't know yeah. the age. So I, those I think, books, those books as a dad that you read to your to your children, uh, they kind of stay around yeah, yeah. around around how they feel and see the world around around all. Uh, you know, they're very much they're very important in those elements, it. aren't they? I didn't realize that when I started, and the, the the more I've gone on, the more I've realized what a powerful and what a privileged position it is to work in this really wonderful field, but that you can really say stuff. Um, and and also hopefully have a lot of fun doing it. You yeah, know, just don't want to be overtly political all the time. Right. Yeah. So here's yeah. here's the final here's the final <laughs> question. Uh, so for you, uh, what has been your best ever moment? Uh, oh, so a moment gosh. that still makes you grin. So so around anything, what's been your best? Moment? Okay. Well, it started as a horror story. Um, so uh, the Hay Festival does these festivals all over the world. And about 10 years ago, they invited me um, to go and do a session, one session in Kerala in India, which was amazing. So I got flown out, spent a week in India. Fantastic. You know, in, in, in meeting Simon Armitage and Jermaine Greer and Fergal Keane and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. What an amazing experience. And then my event was right at the end of the week, two o'clock after lunch, and this tent marquee filled up to capacity, maybe 300 people, and not a single... And they'd asked me to come over and do an hour for five to six-year-olds. So do a bit of drawing, read some stories, all that sort of stuff. And the tent filled up. Not a single person in that tent was under the age of 25. So <laughs> <laughs> and there were, it was a sea of really, really deeply intelligent faces, poets, mathematicians, you know, the height of sort of intel Indian intelligentsia. And I, I was there with my then girlfriend <laughs> thinking, what am I going to do? You know, when you want the earth to swallow you up. And I, I had to, you know, walked out onto the stage and I said, I said, you are all supposed to be four or five. So I'm going to now read you some stories and I want you to be four or five. <laughs> and so I started off with a book called Banana, which is more or less wordless. And um, and nobody got involved. Um, so I wanted that. So it's a sort of long story. By the end of it, or actually within about five minutes, the whole tent suddenly became five and six years old and I read them stories I drew with them and all of that and it was it, it was it was amazing it was really magical I get quite t I'm telling this story super quickly and missing all sorts of things out but it was amazing that thing of going back to childhood all of those adults willingly went back to childhood and that sense of innocence which is also a sense a place where you can really connect with people so there was something that something that started as a horror show and ended as a really beautiful moment um fantastic so that's that's it am i allowed to just before yeah, um, i get kicked it. off am i allowed to say, i'm doing a concert in birmingham town hall uh called mr big plays jazz which is uh i'm working with a, an absolutely brilliant jazz trio and i'm drawing live so if anyone's interested it's, it's a it's a really fun event it's two o'clock 31st of october at birmingham town hall um i think the website is b music yeah. 
at something. Sounds, anyway, sounds, sounds brilliant. Mr. Mr. Big, such a good book. I'm, it, thank you. I'm going to I'm going to come in now, Simon. Okay, and say goodbye to Ed. Thank you very much. I love that. Thank story. you so much. Thank and you. Thanks for having me. All the technical difficulties. I have Definitely. actually got got Philip on um, now, so I'm going to put on some adverts and then I'm going to talk to Philip Mead. Okay, bye, Ed. Bye. Thank you. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hi, Philip, are you there? Hello, yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Great, so good. We didn't have anything to worry about. Thank you so much for hanging around. Um, I know that we're 13 minutes later than I said we were going to be, but uh, we managed to, to pull some time That's back. Okay. Uh, I'm an absolute massive fan of yours, as you know. <laughs> I've got all your books. And the Here Lies Arthur is probably one of my favourite books, adult or um, for young adults. Uh, so it's a real privilege to have you here to talk to you today. Just wanted to say that. Okay, oh, fangirling. Okay, um, my first question is, have you got a cocktail that describes you as a writer? <laughs> I don't think I have. No, I'm not really, I'm not <laughs> okay. really very much a cocktail person. But um, Sarah McIntyre, my, my co-author on some of my books and illustrator, is... Um, very good at knocking up cocktails so when she comes at christmas she usually makes us um, margaritas which go down very well so i think i'm going to choose those they're the reeve and mcintyre cocktail oh okay I, I do love the books you do with her as well and i've used those for the younger children they're really great for years three and four and actually down to year two as well pugs of the frozen north i put that on the curriculum so uh yeah plug for sarah mcintyre as well um i i said that i was going to ask you why you became a writer mm. as my second question did you give that any thought uh, yes, but the trouble is with these questions, I don't really sort of know what the no. answer to that is. You know, I've been okay. writing stories since I was like five or six, I suppose, and I just kind of kept at it all, all the way through school. And then I was kind of distracted. I, I decided I wanted to be an illustrator, and I was interested in filmmaking and things like that. So I kind of veered away from writing prose for a while, and then I just came back to it. And, and it's just something I've always done. Yeah, sort of like maybe you were fated to do it. I don't know. I think sometimes there's things that you just do and you've fallen into them and they just feel right, perhaps, like teaching is for me. Is that what it's like for I writing? I guess, yes. Well, I've, I don't think it's writing so much. I've just always liked stories. I like I like making things up. Um, and it can be in the form of a picture or a play or a little film or something. But um, writing is the sort of the easiast and quickest way to get Did it come to you easily? Down. Because for me, it's it's a torturous process, really, writing um, fiction. I can write blogs and things, okay, that's not stressful for me. But when I try and write fiction, because I would have loved to have been a writer, I just can't do it. I overwork it and overwork it. Did, did you find it easy to do it? Yes, I think I do. I find it, I find it very easy to write 
to imagine things and to imagine people and and have them have adventures it's harder to structure it you know actually sort of turning that into a into a a, a story with a beginning a middle and end that's the that's the, the sort of the work of it but the actual imagining stuff comes very 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 easily to me i do it all the time yeah i th- i think so i think if you if you're a prolific and successful writer it's got to be easier than it is for people like me otherwise you know i i've been working for 25 years on a book and it's never really happened <laughs> okay um, <laughs> but i i do find you know writing non-fiction I, I when i'm writing if i'm trying to write a film review or something on my blog i find that much harder trying to sort of arrange the information oh, in the okay. right way I, I have to think much harder about that so that's interesting. i guess it's um whatever you're best suited to Okay, I did want to ask if you had any favourite books as a child and if you've got any now as an adult. Um, just interested to know what you read in your spare time, what, what oh, inspired well, you when you were younger. Well, loads of things when I was younger and, and right across the board, you know, I, like, I used to like sort of funny books like Asterix and Molesworth and stuff. I loved The Lord of the Rings from, I suppose, when I was about like nine. Um, that was my, my favourite book and it sort of still is in some ways and I'm sure you can see its influence in yes. everything I've done um, as an adult again you know lots and lots of stuff but uh, Geraldine McCorchran who's very well known as a children's author oh yeah I, I, I first discovered her back in about 96 or something she she wrote an adult novel called Fire's Astonishment um, which was is, is I would is definitely one of my absolute favorite books and when i read it back then um it was one of the ones that made me think oh i ought to be writing a novel i ought to be you know i i I should stop frittering my time away on short films and stupid plays and things and and actually write a novel so in a way she's responsible for my entire career oh I'm i'm sure she'll be pleased to hear that i've read where the world ends that was an incredible book i haven't read any of her others the one set on the island Yes, yes, that's that that's a blew I mean, my, blew all, my mind. All, I've never, I've never read uh, one of her books that is that is less than excellent. Yeah, um, I love them all. She's she's absolutely my my favourite. Um, certainly, my favourite children's writer. I, I think she's just my favourite writer. Um, so uh, I don't. So yeah, I think it's strange all. the delineation between children's writers and adult writers. They are just you are well, yes, you're and, all just and, writers, aren't you? To be fair, and people well, like uh, Neil Gaiman uh, and yourself, I feel like you've crossed over really both and made made it more one genre. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I mean, people, there are differences between children's books and adults' books. There are things you can do in adults' books that you couldn't do in a children's yeah. book. Um, and Geraldine, of course, does, you know, I, I came to her as an adult writer. I, I You know, I, she wrote adult historical novels, um, which I read sort of four or five of. And then there weren't any more of those. And I started reading her children's books. And I think she's also one of the people who made me think, oh, I could write children's books. You know, I could do, because although the subject matter changes slightly, um, the, her use of language, which is extraordinary, is just the same in, in her children's books as in her adult books. She's She's not sort of writing down for a younger reader um so i think she's one of the people who made me realize that i could kind of do whatever i wanted to really or all the things that i want to i can do in a, in a children's book yeah oh that's really good okay um i've got simon smith here i don't know if you know about him on twitter he knows yes. an awful lot about books and i said because he's also a massive fan of yours i said that he could ask you a few questions so uh if that's okay, I'm going to pop him on now and he's going to talk to you, okay? Of course, okay, thanks. Thank yes, hello, Simon. Hi, Philip. Hi, uh, bit of a fanboy moment, so you have to excuse <laughs> me. I am a, a huge fan and, and uh, just kind of, yeah, just want, so firstly, I kind of, uh, Mortal Engines is probably probably one of my absolute favourite series of books uh, ever in, in terms of, but not just children's books, but books. Uh, mm. And I just, where did that inspiration come from? Where you know, what was it like? What was your pitch when you were actually going to take that to, uh, you know, to, to talk about wanting to write these books? What was your pitch? How, well, what did I, you get in your head? I didn't, I didn't pitch. I, I just wrote the book and then I, then I, then I sort of started sending it off to publishers um, and uh, nobody really wanted it. Um, and then I thought, because I'd kind of written it as an, assuming it was a kind of adult science fiction novel. And then I thought, oh, maybe I sent it to children's publishers. So I, I showed it to Scholastic, to Liz Cross, who was the editor at the time at Scholastic. And uh, she thought it was a goer. So that was that was how it came about. Um, and the inspiration, it's sort of, I mean, it's, it was published 20 years ago this November. And 
it was I was writing it for at least seven or eight years before that. So it's nearly thirty years ago that I was I was coming up with that, and I can't really remember where it came from, to be honest. Um, you know, it was it was like any novel; it was a great sort of collection of all the things I was into at the time. And I think there's a thing with first novels as well that when people write their first novel, they try and cram everything into it because right. you sort of assume <laughs> that it's the only chance you'll get. So you try and sort of stuff all the things that you're interested in into the one book. So there's lots of different things in there um, and all joined together by the idea of the, the city on wheels. And I, that came from just literally just thinking, well, I need a kind of big idea to link all these completely disparate elements together. What is the right, biggest yeah. thing I can think of? Oh, a city on wheels. So that's where that comes from. <laughs> right. Uh, fantastic. So uh, having just read Utterly, which uh, Utterly Dark, which is obviously your new book, uh, what struck me is how how very different it was to a lot of your other books. It, it it's kind of, it's, it felt a lot more and then, uh, it felt a lot more rooted in folklore and things like that. So again, I was wondering where is is it from where you're living and and those things that that came from because it did feel very otherworldly. It felt very different. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about utterly and kind of and, and the inspiration around that. Yes, utterly dark and the face of the deep. Um, that. Is a, it's it's it is I suppose different from the other books. It is more folklore. It's more magic. I haven't really touched seriously on 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 those things before. I've done comic versions like the Goblins books, and Oliver and the Sea Wigs with Sarah McIntyre. Um, but Utterly is the first time I've I've sort of tried to use magic and um, um, myth seriously, um, and it's set on an imaginary island out in the western ocean somewhere um sort of based on the idea of you know the sort of the blessed isles and things like that all those legends you get about about islands that come and go off in the off in the atlantic um so it kind of plays with all that um but i don't think it's actually not that different to to the other books i don't think once you once you actually get into it i think it's quite it's it's it has some quite similar concerns a lot of the a lot of the characters felt like quite often when i'm writing a book the characters start to feel like like the same actors turning up again in a new role um and i think i think all my sort of regular little company of players all find something to do in utterly dark um and it's it's got a lot of themes in common with fever crumb which was a, a prequel i wrote to the mortal engines books um and in a way, I was never really happy with Fever Crumb. And I think Utterly Dark is sort of my subconscious coming back to have another go at it because I noticed when it was finished that there's several of the same elements reappear um, better, I hope. Uh, but yeah, the folklore and, and sort of magic and myth has always been. That's probably where I started from. I was saying my favourite book as a child was The Lord of the Rings. And I, I was heavily into all that sort of uh, stuff and uh, Arthurian legend as a teenager and I've, I've always been very very interested in, in Arthur and um and that sort of that sort of sense of the deep past and deep England and all that stuff so it's um it's just taken a while to to find its way to the surface I think okay uh so uh I can imagine writing's like really solitary and, and one thing that's kind of been you kind of really really stands out on Twitter is your your friendship with Sarah McIntyre and I just how was that so my question is, how has that helped you as a writer? Do you think? How, you know, because you can you can see oh, there's that real bond around the pair of you and how you work together and, and things like that. So it'd just be really interesting that relationship, really, and how that works. Yes, well, it was it was tremendously um, lucky, really. I, I was at um, the Edinburgh Festival about 10, 11 years ago, and uh, my publisher invited some of us to dinner and, and I found myself sitting opposite Sarah and her, her husband, Stuart, and just got talking to them. And um, And I sort of never stopped. Um, I'm not a very sociable person. I don't really um, seek out friends and conversation very much, but uh, it just, something just sort of clicked with, with, with Sarah and I, and we, we found we enjoyed sort of talking together and we, we drew a lot together or we didn't draw together, but I was drawing here on Dartmoor and she was drawing in London and we were sort of swapping things online and having a big draw off. And uh, eventually, we just decided we had to write stories together. So it was um, at the time she she was mainly doing picture books and comics for, I guess, slightly younger readers, and I was doing well things like Fever Crumb, the YA ish kind of novels. 
Um, so we kind of decided to meet in the middle, and that's where Oliver and the Sea Wigs came from, which is our first book. And then we just kind of kept doing, kept doing books from there, and, and we plan to continue to do so. You know, because whenever we meet, we just start talking, and ideas start to flow, and we 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 invent books basically, or we invent stories, and some of the stories turn into books, um, and some of them just become sort of private jokes. And I know we've got quite a we've got quite a stock of them, quite a stockpile. Yeah. So I, I... no, it's been brilliant, and it sort of arrived just at a point when. I, I guess I'd been um, writing for, or been a writer for about 10 years at that point, been a published writer for about 10 years. And it was just at that point when I was thinking, I don't know, am I out of ideas? Is there anything else I want to do? Where do I go next? And um, up pops Sarah. And that sort of that sort of became like, you know, this was the she was the guide to the second half of my career. So um, so it was brilliant. It's fantastic that's happened to me yeah in, Fantas- in this, fantastic and I, and I know and i know the books you do with sarah i, I know in school they're massively popular they're, they're the books that always disappear from the shelves you know we just put we, the new the new kevin one in in oh, the library and, it, and it's now just never in oh that's um, great yeah but we, we do see it's really nice to see them being used i mean i know you know mortal engines and things get used in schools but because it's for a slightly older age group not in quite the same way so we get like whole classes and whole schools even doing huge projects on pugs of the frozen north and sending us all their drawings and stuff so that's that's really nice that's a lovely thing to see yeah no they are they are fantastic books and and again i love the lightness of them and and the humor and the the you know what's great is is sarah's illustrations equally add depth to those stories you know you know as ed was ed was talking earlier that that element of of the different story that comes from sarah's art in in those books as well and the detail of it it's just they work beautifully so thank you uh, right, I've got a kind of final question, uh, and this is kind of more of a tip for children. So what what tip would you give to children who might want to be writers? What would you say are the three things that, that would really help them on that route to being a writer? Well, um, I think they need to they need to read, really. I think I think read a lot and it doesn't really matter what particularly you know read stories if you want to write stories and th- and that's how you find out how they work you know that's that you can't really i don't think you can really teach somebody to, to 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 how to write a story i think if you just read lots you just kind of absorb it nobody ever sat me down and and taught me you know how you build to a climax or that kind of thing i just i just learned it by osmosis from from reading loads and loads of of stories so um yeah you know read lots of books and watch lots of films and telly and things and um that's how you learn um so that would be my first tip and i don't know if i have any others really because <laughs> i don't i kind of don't believe in writing tips i think they're um a bit overrated i think yeah um, that's, that's i think i think they yeah. i think they're distractions i think i think yeah. um just, just have a go. Just write, yeah. really, is yeah. my is my tip. I think that's how, that's that that will teach you. If you just write a story and then go back and rewrite it and try and make it better, that is going to teach you so much more than I could possibly express, even if I gave you twenty writing tips. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Philip. That's great. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank All right, you I'm going to I'm going to cut in here now. Actually, I'm going to ask you a question. Something occurred to me when I was listening to you talking to Simon there, Philip, you were saying that your characters sort of pop up. You've got like a cast. Is that, did, did I understand that correctly? Of, uh, yeah. of stock characters that are sort of in your imagination and then they, they pop up in different forms in each book. Is that what you were saying? I think so. Yeah. I sort of, well, I sort of sense that. Yes. It's not conscious. It's not, a, it's is not, there? you know, I don't sort of, I don't sort of sit down and think, oh, who is this going to be this time? But it does tend to work out that way. I think that's fascinating, really. I've not heard that before, but I know myself, if I, I told you before, I've got a tortured uh, relationship with writing fiction. And whenever I try and write, it doesn't matter if I recreate my character, it's always the same character. So that was really interesting. Have you got any, any books that have got the same character in that you could tell me, oh, that character is that character in that book? Well, it, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not quite that, <laughs> but it's just that if you if I look back now that I've got a kind of a bunch of books, um, the ones with Sarah probably don't include this because she puts no. so much into the stories that it, it sort of um, uh, changes it. But but I think if you look at my books, there's almost always a, a sort of an odd looking girl. Um, <laughs> yes. She's odd in some way or other. Um, there's uh, generally a spooky older woman who's yeah. sort of a bit mysterious. Um, sort of Anna Fang, or um, I guess uh, Aish in Utterly Dark and the Face of the Deep. Mm. Um, 
And then there's often a man who appears to be very wise and heroic and all-knowing, but turns out not to be. Uh, you know, either he's a villain or he's a bit useless or, you know, sometimes he's a hero, sometimes he's a villain, but he's uh, <laughs> he's got feet of clay in some way. So Will in Utterly Dark would would fit yeah. that um, character, I think, or, really or Valentine in Mortal I Engines. Want to, I it's, just like, it's just like sort of a series of archetypes, it's just like archetypes, archetypes, I guess. Archetypes, yeah. yeah. I, I, I also want to ask you, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but what did you think of the film of Mortal Engines? Oh, well, you know, I liked it and, and uh, I probably liked it. I mean, a lot of people who, who love the books um, didn't like it because it didn't match their vision of, of what they see when they read the books or, or, you know, it changed the story in some way. Mm. Um, and that's how I often but you feel. you liked I, it. That's how I often feel when I watch films of books that I love reading. But Mortal Engines, because I wrote it, I, I, it went through so many different uh, versions in, in the process of being written. I, I tried out so many different paths to the story that I don't really regard the story as something fixed. You know, I've read so many alternate versions of it. There was nothing that Peter Jackson and his team could do with that story that I hadn't already done okay. at some point. So I was absolutely fine to see to, with the changes. I wasn't particularly I agreed, I agreed with some of the changes they made and I, others I thought didn't work so well. And, and I, you know, I think it was... I wish it had been a little bit longer. I think it goes yeah. on with another 20 or 30 minutes. And, and I, I think that was uh, decided Although, by the studio that it had to be two hours. Um, Although, but, having um, said that, the Golden Compass film, which I hated because hmm. uh, I loved the Northern Lights trilogy, uh, Philip Pullman, obviously. Uh, and then they made it into the BBC series. I don't think they're making it longer helped. <laughs> I just think they were meant no. to be books. <laughs> oh, that was a long series, wasn't it? <laughs> it was that was a long, much. long series. <laughs> so, yeah, much. that's. I, I think, you know, Brevity is good, really, but I, I just thought, you know, Mortal Engines, the, the movie, the, there were things that had clearly been cut out at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There were storylines that didn't finish. And I, I, I think that's just a sort of a studio thing saying, no, they it, has to to, be, don't they? it has to be 120 minutes. And really, you know, it could have done with another another 10 minutes or so. Um, but I really liked all the actors. I thought they, I, you know, and again, the characters were older than they, they were in the book and things, but I thought... Um, the, the actors did it did a great job, really. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and I did see a bit of it. We got to go to the studios and see a little bit of it being shot. So that was that was kind of fascinating. But it didn't really it didn't really at any point feel like anything to do with me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean I felt very sort of distanced from it because it came so long after the book had been Gosh, finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was so different. And it, it was you know it was done sort of at the other end of the world without any real input from me. Um, I, I didn't feel that connected to it. Just occasionally, you know, when Jahay was swishing around in a long red leather coat in all these yeah. rusty environments, I think, oh, yes, hang on, that. I, I thought of that. <laughs> I wrote that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, just like, it was just like, oh, you, you know, that has come out of my, my head. Yeah. So that was quite odd. But um, I no, I, I feel sort of benign towards it, but just not particularly <laughs> connected to it. It was great to hear your take on that. Okay, I think we've probably run out of time, but um, it was fascinating talking to you, and thank you so much for hanging around and bearing with me with all oh, those technical right. issues. Yeah, I'm glad uh, they cleared up. Yes. Well, and I hope the cold I'm, does too. Unlike my head cold. Oh, it's yeah. dreadful. I'm not going to complain. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much, Philip. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. I wonder, are you still there, Simon? Uh, yes, I am, yeah. Yeah, because um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't so I've just been really enjoying listening to Philip and it's been yeah, great. So. Fascinating. Thank you as well for um, sticking around and being there and being my co-host today because I was not up to it. I, I'm sorry to my listeners if they heard me sneeze or cough or blow my nose in the background. I was, I was trying out this mute thing, but I don't know if it actually works. Okay, I, I think we've, we've probably we've done our allotted time. So I'm going to yeah. say goodbye to you and thanks again. Thanks um, for the invite. Really enjoyed it. Maybe so thanks we can a lot. do it again sometime. Yeah, okay. it was it was lovely, and I was able to fanboy. So thank you for that. All right, take care. <laughs> Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.